I am so grateful to have Dr. Olivier Cousson join us today on A Regenerative Future. He has been a mentor for me. He has opened up an entire new world for me. He's guided John Kemp, all these people all over the world because he's written fundamental journal and research articles that have changed everything. <laughs> so get ready because this is going to be amazing. All right, here we go. How are you? I was working uh, the paper with uh, with John. We will uh, we will submit the revised version very soon. So, <laughs> wow, yeah, that's that's a huge paper. <laughs> wow, huge one. So he's doing um, so, like field field work and research and, and giving you data. It's it's, it's a review, it's a review paper mm -hmm. with many colleagues, but mm. uh, the way John is associated to this, and then. Um, it explains all the, the different EH-PH conditions for the different pathogens, the different EH-PH condition in the plants, the impact of the stress, and all, all this interacts and, uh, and make plants sensitive to, to disease. Yeah. So it's a, it's a huge work. Um, the, the first draft was accepted with, uh, with modifications, and uh, we are working on the revision. So. It should be uh, hopefully maybe if, uh, at the end of May maybe we will have it published. Wow, that is and amazing! It's, it's a huge one. Thank you. It's a huge one. It's really. <laughs> oh wow! It's a huge one. Really, it's. Uh, I think there's something like 450 publications in the review, but I I started from something like 5,000. <laughs> ah. Well, yeah, I, I know how that goes. It's it's quite the Thanks, space. <laughs> it's quite the space when you get into it, and you it's it's humbling. For me, I came from the gardening space, and people who are gardeners tend to talk like they know things, <laughs> and they don't. And so, it's really important to be humble and to do a lot of reading. <laughs> that, that's that's called the the Dunning Kruger symptom. You yeah. don't know. It's, it's American uh, doctors who published on this. Is that when you don't know something well, you think you know it, and you talk with a lot of insurance, and you're very, very sure of what you're saying. And the more you learn, the more humble you get. So <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that's. Mm. Um, that's uh, yeah. It, I think it was in the seventies. It's two American doctors who did this study. So, <laughs> well, hopefully, this hopefully the work that I do will bring more complexity, more humility, more reflection, yeah. and connect people to to information and researchers like you and like John, uh, because it's so important that that we do this research. And you know, one of yeah. the questions I wanted to ask you is, where did this all start for you? How did this begin? <laughs> uh, well, it's, um, it's multifactorial, I would say. It's a combination of different things. But um, I'm, in France, we have a kind of training for agronomists. Where I, at first, I'm engineer in agronomy, so we are. It's, it's a kind of training where. It's rather balanced. You have a lot of physics, a lot of mathematics, a lot of biology, 
a lot of chemical chemistry. So it's a it's a competition. You you after the bachelor, you you have to two years to prepare a competition, and then only the top one gets access to the school. Oh, okay. Engineering agronomy. So already I was, and I always liked physics. <laughs> and um, then I've been working most of my career with Lucien Segui, who is, was, he passed away just one year ago, was an agronomist, worked a lot on uh, conservation agriculture in the tropics. Mm. And um, it's, it was the same. We, we worked a lot on designing cropping system with farmer for based on conservation agriculture and develop the principle and uh, and understanding the cover crops and all these things that the, the importance of, of, of having them and um, I did after after being engineer in agronomy I worked in Vietnam and I did a PhD in Vietnam on soil that are very specific it's called acid sulfate soil. It's soil when they oxidize, they acidify, mm. but they really acidify. That means that locally we, you can be at pH one. Okay, yeah. in in these soils you have up to three percent of pyrite, it's FAS two, and one mole of pyrite that oxidize produce four moles of sulfuric acid. So. At that time, it was working on. I've been working on rice a lot, and rice can be in water or in a plant. But um, at that time, I've learned the, the, the redox chemistry for paddy field. It's very well known. And then, 20 years later, working on cover crops and all these things, I thought we are missing something. To, to go further to improve our system, we need to understand that's something we don't get well. So I thought, why redox chemistry is so important in paddy fields? And we never discussed this in uh, in, in in aerobic field. Why? What's the, the main reason? Is that we we don't know how to we didn't know really well how to measure, and it's not the same uh, redox couples that are at stake. So um, it seems less important, <laughs> but mm. in fact, it's maybe even more important. Um, especially it, it leads me to understand that the key point in the soil is the soil structure, because this will impact very, very strongly the, um, the EH and pH in the soil. So all the solubility of the, uh, the availability of the, the nutrients, the toxicities, you are, all, all this is related to the soil structure. And the plants, they know this, <laughs> and the microorganisms, they know this. So the plants will use microorganisms and, and macrofauna to, to improve the soil structure. So the plants, they will feed the macrofauna and the microorganism to improve. One of the roles will be to improve the soil structure and to buffer EH, pH in the soil to make it more balanced, to have the, the, the nutrients available and all these things. So um that's that's really a key point and quite often on redox people say our soil are too oxidized but that's not the the really correct thing our soils most of our soils are have a poor structure that means when as soon as it's raining 
with water filling on the, the, the pores that are there, there, there's no more oxygen, so it's too reduced. And a few days later, it's drying again, and it's too oxidized. So the plants, they, they always shift from too reduced to too oxidized. There's no buffering, or for redox, we call it this poisoning capacity. But thing is that if you don't have a good soil structure, EH and pH, they are, they go, EH in, in two days can go up or down by, by 800 or 600 millivolts. So in fact, you need a good soil structure wow. to have, and, 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 and also in a compacted soil, the um, EH and pH are rather homogeneous in space. There's no diversity, there's no EH, pH niches for microorganism, in fact. So, but all the soil is at one EH, pH level with very little uh, variability around this. And it's, it changes very fast with time. So this is very bad for, for microbial activity or for, for life, in, in fact, because for two days, then the, only the, the anaerobic microbes will survive and can develop. And then three days later, they all die, and it's another population that tries to develop. And when you have good soil structure, it's the opposite. You have little variation in space, in, in time, but you have a huge diversity in space. And this diversity in space, it selects and it's, it is selected by, it is improved by, by the microorganism. So you can have huge biodiversity because you have different EHPH condition favorable to different microorganisms. And to, 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 to have all the cycles of the nutrients working well, you need different microorganisms that function at different EH and pH. Um, the, the, the nitrifying bacteria, they work only at high EH in you know, oxidized soil. Uh, the opposite, the, 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 the bacteria that fix nitrogen, they work only at very low EH. So that's also the importance of the soil structure. Within an aggregate, you have a huge variation on EH and pH. Inside the aggregate, when it's, there's more humidity, it's, it's lower, there's less oxygen. So there you can have nitrogen fixation. When you are when you have a compacted soil, you have very low diversity and it's changing all the time and the cycle cannot be filled in. So that makes, all right. So in my mind, when I think about structure, there's the, there's these like influences and schools of thought that, that come in and then I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to kind of fit them together. And so the structure is also the differentiation of pH and EH. It's not just physical, right? Yes, 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 yes. It, the differentiation yeah. and, creates the parts and, different. Um, and, and in fact, the, the chemistry impacts the biology, and the biology impacts the chemistry. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for physics. John says that it's physics, that it's, it's all interlinked. In fact, the plants, they, they, they will modify EHPH in the soil and make structure through the roots that will help, that will select, that will recruit different microorganisms. And this microorganism, once they start to develop, they, they, they 
they adjust, they, they change the chemistry to adjust it to their optimal level. So the chemistry EHPH is impacting the, the population of microorganism and the population of microorganism organism have, has a strong ability to impact EHPH. And the plants, they will use this, they use the microorganism to make different EHPH niches in the soil so that they, they will have access to all the nutrients, so all the cycle will be filling in, in, in a good way. <laughs> At the same moment, it's a, you need to have a, a balance between nitrate and ammonium, for instance, if we talk about mineral nutrition. But in the soil, which is not... All, all the plants, they, they, they work better when they can absorb both forms. Yeah, I was thinking and about that recently, because it, it so, seems like they prefer to be in that ideal zone because they have pivot power. They can lean this way and grab this. They can lean this way and grab that, right? Yeah, there's this, but there's also the fact that the plant that absorbs nitrates, NO3 minus, mm -hmm. they, they get alkalinized a lot. And the plant that absorbs Ammonium and H4 plus, they get acidic. So they acidify the rhizosphere or they, or they alkalinize the, the rhizosphere for, for, for nitrates. And um, they have to do this to keep the, the charge, but also because, uh, because in ammonium, there's a lot of H plus and in, uh, in nitrates, there's a lot of oxygen that with water will give OH minus. Uh, so, so all the plants they work better when they can absorb both forms. Okay, Absolutely. and in a compacted soil, they can absorb only one form. But for a few days, it's one form, and for the few, another few days, it's another form. So they get too, oxy, too, too acidic and too, oxy, too alkaline, or, and, and they shift off all the time. And they, they and they spend a lot of energy to buffer the pH in the plant. So, in fact, to buffer the pH in the plants, it's uh, proton ATP pumps that works. And to, to, to make this pump works, you need energy. So you, the more these pumps need to work, the more you oxidize your plant. Mm. So a change, in the soil yeah. pH, a change in soil pH the plant will sustain a pH, but it will cost a lot of energy. So uh, doing this, you don't really see a change in pH in your plants, but in fact, the redox is going up. The plant is losing energy to, to adjust the pH. And when the plant cannot adjust the pH anymore, it's, it's getting really complicated. Mm -hmm. And that's when all the bad things happen. So <laughs> It's all in interaction. So yeah. 20 years ago, everything was related to pH in soil, in, in, in plant physiology. Globally, all the microorganisms, they, they breathe. Mm. So they take oxygen and they release CO2. Okay, So this CO2 is vented in the, in the atmosphere. CO2 is the most oxidized form of, of carbon. Mm. So globally, microbial activity, fungi or bacteria, it's lowering redox potential because oxygen is, is getting out of the system with through CO2.
Wow, that's really good. That's that's perfect. <laughs> it's 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 always the difficulty to understand the, the this redox like entropy. Which system are you looking at? Uh, and and it was um, I did not mention, but my brother is is working on uh, yes private consultancy on, on uh, fish farming and shrimps farming and working with redox at the same time we we, we went together <laughs> developing all this and there was one thing we we were we, we could not agree for a long time he was saying that photosynthesis was oxidizing and i said no way photosynthesis is <laughs> the primary reduction so there's no way photosynthesis is oxidizing but Photosynthesis is reducing the plant and venting or the soil and venting O2. So when you measure your soil with the root exudates and you see it's a decrease, but when you measure in water, you have more oxygen in your water. So photosynthesis by algae, they oxidize the water. It's so you always have to look which system <laughs> you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You, you need to get perspective, you know. <laughs> um, and in, in, in Vietnam, in that setting, were you close to the water? Were you close to where that, that shift would, would be happening? Yeah, yeah. We were in the Mekong Delta. So uh, for six months per year, you had the Mekong River with the flood. <laughs> Uh, flooding everywhere, so pH was going up, redox was going down a lot, and then at the end of the flood, as soon as the soil were getting on the on the air, not not underwater, uh, you had a huge acidification. Mm. It was crazy. <laughs> it the, the the difference in altitude in the field, you had tremendous correlation with the yield. Wow. We, we had some fields where we had more than 700 kilograms of paddy per hectare per centimeter difference. That means you were going up one centimeter, you could have 700 kilo per hectare more. So how are you successful? Like how does one succeed in that kind of circumstance? Uh, it was kind of crazy. In fact, this stupid Vietnamese farmer, nobody told them it was not possible to grow rice there, so they grew it. <laughs> so uh, now, in fact, it's uh, in, to give you an idea, we, we found the technique. We, we need to adjust just according to the elevation of the field. In fact, it was the plan of reeds. It's, um, it was the end of the Ho Chi Minh Trail, <laughs> just, uh, just near the, the, the Cambodian border. Mm. And um, we were 140 kilometers from the sea. And the highest point I measure is, was 1.1 meter above mean sea level. Okay, so it's flat. Yeah. But within, within a few, let's say, all the fields were between 65 centimeters above mean sea level and 1.1 meter above mean sea level. But between, uh, it was between 85, around 85 centimeters above mean sea level. Everything was shifting completely. Below this, most of the time, you were too reduced because of the Mekong River. Yeah. And above this, most of the time, you were too oxidized. And the, the vegetation was completely different. Within a few centimeters, 
it was completely different. So uh, when it was too low, you had Eliot Terrace to see reeds. And when it was too higher, it was uh, grass, uh, Eskimo Murugos. And so for farmer, we just told them, okay, if you have mainly the reeds, you have to delay the planting and pump water out of the field as much as you can to oxidize. And if you are if you have mainly the grasses, then do the opposite. Plant very early, <laughs> plant very early, and pump water as much as possible in the field. Wow! So um, th that was that was quite successful because in five years we reclaimed one hundred twenty thousand hectares of soil that were supposed to be impossible to cultivate, <laughs> and. Uh, First, we started with one crop per year, and after five years, we shift to two crops per year mm. because we were improving the, the possibility to, to regulate water in this field. And uh, so the total was something like one million ton per year of, of rice wow. produced in this area, starting from nothing in five years. <laughs> so, wow. And it's healthier it was, rice, too. I mean, this is rice that's well, being, it's healthier rice, too. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> healthier plants, healthier yeah. people. I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rice grows in two reduced condition. Uh, you can have arsenic toxicity in it, <laughs> which so, is increasingly uh, common. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you have shrimps, you have rice. It's uh, arsenic is more soluble when you are very low redox potential. So, but the good thing with rice, I spent most most of my career working on rice. Is that rice can grow in paddy fields underwater, even in, in in some places in Vietnam, you could have rice in more than two or three meters of water. And uh, yeah, just just moving up with the with the flood and then going down. But um, it it can also grow like uh, an upland crop, like any crop, like wheat. So for redox, working on redox, you have all the all the situations. But what what is striking is that when you get reduced, iron is the key element that will affect EH and pH. Okay. So you have a lot of iron in the in the in the field in the, in the soil, and iron for 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 um, for for nitrogen. Nitrogen is exchanging one electron for one proton. That means you are you have a, a constant um, oxidation level. Let's say P plus pH. It's it's but iron. It's different. It can it can exchange more than one electron for 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 one proton. So the the the, the natural trend between EH and pH, when you deal with nitrogen and it's what you have mainly in, in uh, aerobic soil, there's no big shift in this. But when you are in reduced condition, it's iron that will get more important in the redox reaction, and then you have a very strong drop in EH and only a small rise in pH. So that means the, the you really enter into anaerobic conditions. 
and uh, so it's it's uh, it's one important role of this uh, transition metals is that yeah. they exchange different number of electron and proton so they 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 have redox reaction at pe plus ph which is not constant so the that that's the the, the very strong ambiguity with the, with redox is that um, oxidation has two different definitions. Mm -hmm. In electrochemistry, it's the, the loss of electron, but in in organic chemistry, it's the gain of oxygen or the loss of hydrogen. And it's not you don't read it the same way on a on an EH pH diagram. The, the the official definition: loss of electron. You go this way. Increase in oxidation number, you go this way, and gain of oxygen, hydrogen, you go this way. But all this is called oxidation for the science of uh, for electrochemistry. And then, so they say in organic chemistry, it's more oxygen and hydrogen. Um, but then they say that a gain of oxygen is the loss of two electrons, the loss of proton, and a gain of OH minus. And they, they show the the reduction of methane, but when you gain oxygen, you lose electron, and you gain OH minus, you alkalinize. So it's it's uh, it's, that's okay. <laughs> we so, need to so work on this. That that's an important thing is that nitrogen. You have you change one electron for for one proton, so you don't shift too much this uh, this P plus pH. Yeah, thinking about like the red soils of of southern southern United States, if they're bringing their soils down into uh, a how how reduced would you say do they need to start paying attention to 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 this? And what would what, what would you recommend they do in that context? The, the, the problem is that when we measure soil EH, what do you measure? Right. You measure an average EH level, and you can be exactly at the right level, but very temporarily. In in in, in a, if your soil is compacted, you have what what is important is to see the viability. You need to have an average level, but more important than the average level is the buffering capacity and the viability in space around this level. And this you cannot measure with with what we have uh, available at the moment. Uh, so um, there's a huge variability between and and in the rhizosphere it's completely different. Um, it's it's probably it's as soon as you get anaerobic let's say um, uh, the problem is that real anaerobic is not related to eh it's related to pe plus ph is it's not straight on this eh it's it's oxygen versus hydrogen so uh let's say pe plus ph above 9 or 10 you get micro uh, oxic and uh, above 14 you are you are in oxic condition mm. but anoxic condition is is below so let's say at ph7 
it would be something like EH um, 200, 300 millivolt. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to calculate, but uh, seven, I told you 10. Yeah, around 200 millivolts at pH seven. So below this, you get really anoxic. But the plant is at low redox. The plant is making the photosynthesis and is not at the same redox level than the, the soil. It brings energy to the soil. So, so yeah, an average level for, for the soil, good average level is around the electrical neutrality. So P plus pH seven, that would mean at pH seven redox around 400 millivolt. But you need variability around this, okay? But a plant, it depends on the species, but it would be something like 200 millivolts lower because it's the plant who brings all the energy to the soil. And it's another problem of getting this anaerobic condition in the soil is that you have electrical differences and it's, it, it creates strength mm -hmm. when, when you have a positive and a negative uh, electrode. Uh, the electrical charge, they will move. So the, the, the minus will go to the plus, the plus to the minus, the minus will repel the minus. So in a normal system, when, when you have the root at a lower EH than the, the soil, you are negative on the roots, positive on the soil. Okay, so all the negative ions, all the anions, they will be, they will have difficulty to enter. They will mm -hmm. be repelled by electric force. So nitrate will be difficult. So so the plant will need to mobilize pumps to 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 fight against this electrical gradient. So it costs energy to the plant to absorb nitrates. But when you get too reduced. It's getting the opposite. It's the, the ammonium that will be repulsed. <laughs> so, so that's another shift in the soil. When the soil goes below 200 millivolt, the plant has difficulty to get to absorb nitrate. It, uh, sorry, there's no more nitrate in the soil. It's mainly nit uh, ammonium that is present in the soil. And ammonium is positive, so it's the, the, the root is more positive than the soil. So you have a, a force that uh, ammonium absorption, uh, nitrogen absorption decreases when the soil is getting too reduced, whatever the plant, even for rice. The, the, the microbe will, will try to, to, to buffer the, the, the environment to the optimal zone. Okay. But for this, they need to be able to develop, and it's it's the population. It's not one small microbe that will do everything. It's, it's the biofilms. So below the biofilm, you have huge gradients of redox, and and uh, the, the the each population of microorganism will adjust its environment to the to their optimal level. But it costs them energy also. So that's why that's why also they need the plant to feed them. They will use root exudate to, to, to adjust this. And uh, um, higher organism, they, they control redox internally in the cells and externally, the, the plant in the rhizosphere. 
especially. But microorganisms, they are too small to control internally. So they control the environment through the, the, the populations, and they have a very high ability to do this. They are very strong in doing this. So the plants, they use this strength. They first oriented the HPH to the favorable conditions of the microorganism they, 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 they want to, they, they, they need. Maybe it's because they need more phosphorus or more, more manganese. It's, it's really specific. They are able to favor different microorganisms according to, to, to their deficiency, to their stress. So they, will, they, they, they adjust the HPH in their rhizosphere. They feed microorganisms, so they will favor some microorganisms, and they feed this microorganism with different root exudates. And then the microorganism will buffer and uh, the, the EHPH level at, at this favorable environment. Well, we, but well, it's, well, the, the, the root will not want to have homogeneous EHPH all around in, in all the rhizosphere. The, 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 the tip, the apex, is it's more acidic, more reduced, and higher in the root. So there's, there's some gradients in the root. So young roots, old roots, all this is different. They, they, they will favor, they will, they will recruit different microorganisms. Oh, wow. So that and, and, and when that the differentiation, people are like, oh, well, it could be different every root hair. It has to do with redox, and it has to do with the newness of the root or like the, the, the area of the root, how new it is, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. you have, uh, um, a root is like, uh, creates an electrical field, in fact, uh, between the, the apex and, uh, and just above, you have different redox level and this creates an electrical field and um, the zoospore of homicets, they are specifically able to identify. Some will go to the cathode, some will go to the anode. And, and when you have, uh, when the root is damaged, you, you create different electrical fields and it can attract feet of Torah, for instance, will go to different parts as compared to pythium. And it's really specific. And, and it's, uh, it's attraction by, by an electrical field. So, um, so there's plenty of electricity in, <laughs> in so, this. Yeah, I feel, so what I've been taught and what I've heard people say is that it's kind of like willy-nilly. And this is so great to have this information because it really organizes our understanding. Mm. Yeah, that's, and, and, and there's, there's one principle in ecology that says that um, the more homogeneous an, an environment, the more the, the, the selection will be uh, stochastic, will be random. That means when it's very homogeneous, the selection of the microorganism is just random. But when the more you have uh, gradient differences, the more it is structure, in fact, the more the selection gets deterministic. So this means that when the rhizosphere, you, the rhizosphere book I was talking about before with you, that when they're like, oh, at first 
the mucilage and the exudation is all generalized, and then it becomes specific later on. It's more contextual because the plant doesn't have any redox differentiating because all the roots are brand new, and there's no root hairs really to speak of. But 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 you have <laughs> you you know James White, you know, but the, don't forget that in fact the the, the microorganism in the rhizosphere. They, they are related to the microorganism organism in the soil, mm -hmm. to the, the root exudates, and also at the beginning to the microorganisms that were on the seeds. Mm. Because the microorganism on the seeds will orient the, the, the condition of the of the root seed of the of the, the, the root of the seeds and and uh, and then it will shift all this condition and shift to different populations so so that's also an important part of having seeds that are well produced well preserved because the the way you dry them you will alter the, the, the microorganism population. And I'm not talking about fungicide or <laughs> the seed treatments. It's, uh, it, can be, uh, it can be also something that will impact strongly. So um, he's working and, and, on the nitrate stain now. He, uh, I, and I sent him Peruvian corn, unadapted Peruvian corn, so he'd have the endophytes from Peru. And then I also sent him adapted proving corn from California so he can compare the two. And he was doing his work with uh, tomato seeds. So the roots are like super tiny compared to the giant roots of corn. So I hope, I hope we get to, to, to learn more about the nitrogen fixing endophytes that are being carried through the seeds. Yeah, there's plenty of, in fact, the more we learn things, the more we realize that we don't know much. <laughs> and, and, and the more we realize that there's so many things we did not know that we did not know. <laughs> so, uh, so we are discovering many, many things. And, and yeah, this redox perspective, it helps to, to connect the dots and um, gain perspectives. And, uh, and it's uh, it's just a tool, <laughs> but it can be really powerful to organize and to structure, and, and then we come back again to the structure. And you, you can it, that's the interesting thing is that you can relate to many many different disciplines. Uh, you can work with physics, with chemistry, with biology, with pathology, with insect specialists, with and it's. Um, no, it's very rich. It's a, it's a good thing. <laughs> Crosses so many domains. Yes, science is too compartmentalized. And uh, 100 years ago, it was not like this. Uh, mm. I have very old French books. Uh, it's called uh, Critiques of Chemical Physics Applied to Biology. And uh, <laughs> the three are really connected. And it, it's chicken and eggs. Okay, mm -hmm. so the specialist in microorganism will say that it's the microorganism that rules everything, uh, but the, the chemistry also rules the microorganism, and the microorganism rules the chemistry. It's it's really chicken and eggs, and um, it's 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 related chemistry, physics, all this is related, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 biology, of course, but um, you cannot separate. Before everything was physics or was chemistry in, in agronomy, 
as I said, it was everything was pH, and then now it's EH. But in fact, what is important is both. It's PE plus pH with combination of, of the two. So you cannot say pH is more important or less important than EH. It both play an important role, and and it's the same for physics and chemistry and biology. Uh, the the plants they they use the microorganism they alter the and, and they use the, the fauna to, to alter the, the the physical structure and the physical structure will change EH and pH also through uh, you know, structured water and I think like Olax is is presenting so we are connecting many many things yeah. When we say we need low P plus pH to have healthy plants or healthy organism, um, if you think about it, when you measure, you have something with a lot of proton and a lot of electrons, in fact. But this structured water, if you look at the easy water, it's a lot of electrons. And inside uh, this, on the other side of this occlusion zone, and especially in, in the, the tubes, you, you have a lot of protons. So you have you have this gradient of energy, and you have this physics also structure the thing. And, and and then you have all the, the the waves, the vibrations, and all these things. Um, uh, it, it's everywhere, in fact. Do you know that tomato plants, they release the pollen at a special frequency? When, when there's a special frequency, it's, it's, it's in fact, it's the, the, the frequency of the, 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 the insect that pollinates the, the, thing, the, the bumblebee or thing like this. I don't, I think it's, uh, I don't remember the exact, Num number, but it's a very precise frequency that makes that the pollen is released by the tomato plants, the body electric. Yeah, <laughs> it's um. So the vib the vibration of the the wings of the of the insect just make the pollen released. <laughs> wow! You can find videos of this on the internet. Uh, Bumblebee, tomato, pollen frequency, and you, you will find this. It's amazing. <laughs> and oh, wow. so, so you, you. So, so that makes me think that if the if the world's soils have been damaged and we've been um, abusing and tilling our soils and making them more oxidized, then that would functionally mean that the that the earth, the soils. Are lacking energy, right? That we we've we've yes. removed the energy potential from the earth. We remove the organic matter, mm. <laughs> all the Lots carbon that that gets the electrons. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's uh, and it, it's an electrical system. So uh, it's rather simple. You have the solar panels. It's the the leaves. They load the battery. It's the soil. Okay, and you can say that the, the very stable carbon is the, the structural part, is the compartment of the battery, and the micro, yeah, the, the biological activity is the, the load level of the battery, yeah, how much it's loaded. So it's the, the EH, it's a voltage. <laughs> 
Okay, and and uh, and then the production of your system. It's the power of your system. So the power. It's a voltage, square voltage, divided by a resistance. So in, in agriculture, we use more often the, 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 the conductivity, the electric conductivity. So square redox time conductivity, you get the power. So it's the production level. So in fact, um, what happened, I believe, is that if you reduce the resistance, you produce more. The, the power is increased, you produce more. So it's what we did with chemical fertilizer. We increase the electrical conductivity, so we increase the productivity of, of our system. But at the same time, we unload the battery faster. So if we don't have all the solar panel to reload the battery, then you are emptying a battery. Yeah. Okay. So it's what happened. In fact, we we have emptied our batteries, and that's why most of the time talking about conservation agriculture is not enough anymore. Mm. We need regenerative agriculture. We need to reload the batteries. To reload the batteries, you need carbon, and, and to get this carbon, you need plants, because all the energy is coming from the solar energy that plants transform into chemical energy. So, so um, again, it's linked. It's physics, radiation, that's biology transform into chemistry. It's so, so what do you think? What do you think of you know Elon Musk's challenge for someone to figure out some way to draw down all the carbon? Or someone, you know, lots of people have these challenges, in, and and these are also the same people looking for batteries and energy. <laughs> you know, what would you what would you think about all that, given this information? Well, 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 I'm I'm not aware of, of all the things that Elon Musk is doing, <laughs> apart from sending a French astronaut in the in the space station uh, a few days ago. Um, but uh, I think there are some risky things in what he's doing. <laughs> mm. So, but anyway, there's different what I mean, ways. But what I mean to say is, in my mind, it seems it seems so silly to be offering these big cash prizes for some way to sequester carbon when it's very clear that photosynthesis can do it the best. Yeah, and and with free energy, it's the solar energy free. And and uh, don't forget that to get a solar panel, um, a physical solar panel to, to reload your <laughs> your cell phone or something, or, or, or to make solar panel plants, um, you need rare earth, and this is not infinite. Mm -hmm. While growing plants, you can have them. You don't need any, any specific metals, or <laughs> so this this is sustainable. <laughs> the, and and the energy is free. We have this solar energy which is free, and and it's free when when you have a plant intercepting 
the, the solar light, the solar energy, you get a reduction. Okay? But if you let the, the ultraviolet reach the soil, then you have, again, iron, is, iron manganese are fundamental in redox chemistry because they are in, involved in what called phantom reactions. And the ultraviolet of the sun reacting on iron, they produce a very, very oxidizing element. Okay. So if you have a plant, you are reducing your environment. If you don't have a plant, if it's bare soil with iron, yeah. you are oxidizing, strongly oxidizing. So that so makes me... there's some complicated loops in uh, in redox chemistry in phantom reaction. Mm. They have been uh, really overlooked in in the functioning of the soil, um, and and uh, there are recent publications showing these things by um, by Kuziakov especially. Very recent publication. It's it's fascinating because. We the first publication on this was saying that it's very marginal. It contributes to oxidation of uh, to mineralization of very limited amount of, of organic matter in the soil, and it, it works in the desert in the Atacama desert where 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 you have almost no carbon, but you have chemical attack of this carbon by the Fenton reaction mm -hmm. by products. In, and and the less organic matter you have, the more you have these reactions. Okay. So first, it was said that this is limited to this uh, to special situation, and it was in a normal soil. It was less than one percent of the mineralization. And the recent publication they showed that the more iron you have in your soil, and more important, the more period of anaerobios and aerobios, anaerobios, the more you get this phantom reaction. And in the tropical forests on soil with a lot of iron, it can be 30 to 50% of the mineralization. Wow. Just chemical attack by, of the organic matter by the, the product of the phantom chemistry. Oh, wow, that's really So that's very new thing. It's very recent publications a few months ago. Um, so there's plenty of things we we overlooked, and we the, the knowledge is increasing. The difficulty is to to get access to all this knowledge and to structure this, and um, and that's the good thing with this redox perspective is that you can think things. You can talk about entropy if you want. You can talk. There's plenty of uh, of disciplines that can interact and. Uh, <laughs> It's fun. <laughs> it's a lot yeah, of fun. It's a, I see it as a linchpin lens that allows us to uh, view things a different way. So thinking about that, that we've had the Fenton reaction happening, we've been tilling, we've been exposing soils and then abandoning them um, for thousands of years. What, what in your mind, um, or if, you have, if you've thought about this or not, the primeval, like the wild soils, what were soils like when we had these tall canopies on the earth? Um, and how, how did well, things function differently because of that? 
oh, that's probably a climax that was rich with the, the, the more organic matter you have, the more mineralization you have too. So at the moment, you you reach a climax. You know you don't need, and uh, it's very difficult to get more organic matter than this. And but what's important is this salt structure, and. Um, this is also something that uh, research is working on, very interesting research in Switzerland, for instance. Um, they, they relate the soil structure, not only to carbon, but to the ratio carbon by clay. That means if you have 10% clay, you need about 1% carbon to have a correct structure, okay? But if you have 20% clay to get the same structure, you need 2% carbon. Oh. That, that means 3.4% of organic matter. And, and if you have 40% clay, like in my garden, <laughs> um, 40% clay, you start getting a good structure when you have 4% of carbon. Uh, 4% of carbon, it's it's uh, almost 7% of organic matter. Wow. There's not so many soil with this. So, um, so I'm bringing organic matter to my soil. <laughs> but, uh, but that's the, um, that's an important thing. Thinking about ratio clay carbon or carbon by clay. Okay. What are our crops we should, because, I mean, it really depends on the soil types, right? <laughs> because yeah. because um, some farmers are going to want to switch, right? When they learn about this, they're going to want to switch. But how can they really know? How can folks know where their EH is um, for their soil? For the soil, it's not useful to. It, oh, first, it's easy to look at the the the, the, the weeds you have. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, we developed um, an application where we have all this in French. But uh, you make a diagnosis of your soil based on the weeds that are growing there. But yeah, um, when you it's, it, the, the 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 worst is the soil where you have plants that indicate oxidized condition and reduce and other plants reduce condition. That means that it's fluctuating all the time. It's mm -hmm. this compacted soil of plantago and different plants like this, you know, but but it's not really difficult. To, to, it's just compaction. If your soil has a good soil structure, the redox condition will be favorable. Because to need a, to have a good soil structure, you need carbon, you did biological activity. And if you have this, you will have a good soil EH, pH characteristics with different ecological niches and it will work. If you don't have a good soil structure, then you can measure EH, pH, because pH in, uh, in three months in the soil, in the burnt soil can change by two or three units. Wow. So it it's just get you get water above the soil, then the the, the, the reduction links to especially to the iron <laughs> will make that pH pH will raise. Redox will go down, pH will raise. Okay. But 
then you need to look at the, the rhizosphere. What's happening when you are at low P plus pH, where, where will you will have ammonium mainly? The, the, the roots absorbing ammonium will release a lot of protons, will acidify a lot the rhizosphere. Mm. Okay? And then when you acidify the rhizosphere, you make aluminium soluble. That's a problem you have in many pastures that are compacted. Mm. Where when you look at the soil analysis, there's not so much aluminium in, in the soil. But when you look at the forages you grow on this, it's loaded with aluminium. It's probably because waterlogged conditions leads to acidification of the rhizosphere by the plants who absorbs ammonium, then release H plus that solubilize aluminum that's entering into the plant. That's why it's so important to have that plant sap analysis testing uh, that, that John is focusing wow. on. Yeah, and you can have the opposite. That means a lot of manganese in your soil and no manganese in your plant because the soil is too oxidized. Huh. And uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> So you, you, yeah, it, it's it's important to understand all this interaction and the dynamics in uh, in all these systems. And when it's fluctuating all the time in your soil, the plants cannot get you know in good conditions. It's it spend too much energy just to buffer the pH in the in the in the cells or. And and remember, as soon as you have differences in pH. Uh, when, when you have unbalanced pH in your, in your soil, the plants will spend energy to balance this in the cell. So, so it's getting more oxidized. And all the energy it spends adjusting the, the pH internally, it's not available to make new leaves. Okay? Yeah. So it's a, it's a vicious circle. You spend energy to compensate for the for the environment, which is shifting all the time. But globally, you oxidize the plant all the time, and the plant spend energy that is not available to make more solar panel, more leaves. So it cannot acquire more energy, and it's, it's vicious circle. So you, it's the degradation circle. Yeah, that's why it's so important to, to boost the photosynthesis at the beginning. Right, and give them enough space so that they don't they're not shaded out. Yeah. Because it's the plant that will correct the soil structure through microorganism and through macrofauna. It will feed the macrofauna. But if you don't have the plant to feed the macrofauna and the microorganism, the soil structure will not improve. What do you call it? inoculating with, with microbes will work only if you feed them. So you need the plants, you need the organic matter to feed all this. Otherwise, uh, it will not work for, for long. It will be very expensive and not, not, not efficient because you need to feed them. Absolutely. And provide them with conditions that are favorable for them. If you apply this on very compacted soil that will get very dry for, for, for three months, they will die. Yeah. Even if there's some food for them, you can bring sugar. That it's uh, it's uh, 
it's not it's not enough. So you need to provide them with rather correct condition. And, and it's chicken and eggs. You you create rather correct condition. They will improve the conditions. And uh, so it's uh, the question is how do, do we stop this virtuous cycle of regeneration as fast as possible? It's it's the important point. You need to go rather fast, otherwise it's getting very complicated. Yeah. So, so speaking but, of testing paramagnetism, are you using the Callahan meter or are you using uh, something else? No, I, I was just talking about this. It's been a few years. I've been looking for uh, funding to be able. I, I have the, this Callahan uh, soil meter. Uh -huh. um, I, I, I'm not going to say like John. John yeah. said that he, he had it on his chimney for a few years and then get rid of it. Um, I'm using it because um, not for not for measuring paramagnetism. It, it gives you a broad idea. So, but so for you, but you cannot do research on this on the soil with with this. It's very it's, it's really an order of magnitude. It's just give you an idea of where you are. But uh, okay, okay. Um, uh, I'm using it because that's something. The, the, the measurement of redox potential is is uh, is polluted by electromagnetic field. Okay, so the main point is where do I measure when I measure for plants, for instance? Where do I stand to measure this? And it can be even in a field. Two meter differences, you can have very good measurements that will replicate, that will reproduce, that will, that will be, you will understand things. You move two or three meters on the side and you get almost random results and you don't understand anything. Wow. And in fact, the this field Callan, you need to set up the zero. Okay. And there are some places you cannot set up the zero. You, you, you turn it, it's zero, then you take your sample, it's not zero already. <laughs> and when you are in such a place, measuring redox is just meaningless. It's just something empirical we, we discovered. But so, so I'm using the field calendar meter to, to, to select the places where we can measure redox properly. Wow. This is uh, the past, I would say. <laughs> uh, we are calibrating this kind of tools. So this is a prototype. Okay. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a startup that designed this. In fact, it's infrared spectrometry. Oh. Okay. So we are calibrating. So now with this, we are able to predict the measurements for EH, pH, electrical conductivity. We are calibrating for bricks and we are trying to, to see if we can do micronutrients. Within a few weeks, we will know if it's possible for RepSeed. Wow. So this is calibrated. <laughs> this is calibrated. You know, for the moment you look, let's see. It's prototypes. Oh, it's science. Oh. <laughs> that is so it's, cool. Uh, there's very few available, but anyway, it's it's classical uh, 
standard spectrometry. So just a cell phone, you have it here. So it's Bluetooth to the cell phone, and then you have an app. You, you just scan, send the scan, then the, connecting to the, the, the application will just tell you, you, you say, okay, it's wheat. You scan and it gives you EHPH EC uh, in a few seconds. So that, that, that's a revolution. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. We, are, we are working on calibrating this this year for corn, uh, green salad, uh, tomato, potatoes, uh, grape wine, rice. Um, but we have we use this and then we have deep learning. Okay, Sensin, this company, as specialist in, in deep learning, and they improve the, the prediction of the measurements. It's incredible. We have we have um, R square of 0.95 now, and um, the standard deviation of the measurement we get, it's uh, standard error is around five millivolts for redox. It's uh, <laughs> when you when you get five millivolts with classical electrochemistry, which let's say two person in one day we can measure thirty sample. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, and five millivolts precision, it's you are really, really good. And with this, we have it. We, you don't need to, to to calibrate things. You don't need to set up. The, you arrive, you scan, you have your results. End of the day. So we, yeah, it's um, it's changing fast. It's uh, so so this year, and there's been. Um, we, we, there was a crowdfunding campaign in France, and uh, that's how we got the money to, to calibrate for these new crops. So uh, I have great so. hope for for AI. Actually, I know a lot of people are scared of deep learning, but I have great hope for it because it has this ability for us to show. Uh, it feels like a, a like a way that people trust a lot of the data more because of AI, because of the deeper learning can demonstrate its efficacy at such a symphonic and grand level almost. Yeah, it's, it, it's uh, when you look, this is a classical uh, near-infrared spectrometry, but when you look at the classical weight for prediction, we, we get a square of 0 0.7. Uh, when you enter deep learning uh, we, with uh, neural network convolutions learning and in this, uh, it's 0, 0.9, 92, 95, and so we get this with about 1,000 samples. Oh. So that means we need 1,000 measurements with classical methods. <laughs> so that means something like uh, 30 days of work, and then uh, and then we uh, we have this. So so it's coming soon. It's, wow. uh, we will receive 50 devices. So for the moment, it's priority for the people who are calibrating them. <laughs> yeah, of course. But next year, next year it will be uh, it will be available. Yeah. This is a great hope so, for many uh, people. This is amazing. Yeah, for for, for farmer, it changed completely. The thing measuring with electrochemistry, it's tricky. You need to know how it's it's very long. You cannot do it. As a farmer, you don't have the time to spend one day to make 30 measurements. Okay. Now with this, 
farmer can just go in the field at 11 in the morning when photosynthesis is working well because early in the morning the plant is more oxidized so you need to wait for the photosynthesis to to start it then you just can 10 20 leaves of your in your in your field it takes you less than half an hour and you know if you, you risk disease or, or not or feel if your plant is healthy or not and if we can get the the micronutrients and the nitrogen forms and different things that from the sap analysis with the same device then uh, then it will be really a, a change maker <laughs> within a few weeks we will know if it's possible with this kind of, of device to to get the, the sap analysis result at the same time. Uh, we, we, are, we are doing analysis for RepSeed for the moment. So if it's not working with this, with this wavelength, we will work with other wavelengths and we will see. <laughs> it feels like in, in, in a very short period of time, we're going to have a completely uh, new conversation about, about how we grow our food because of this. Ah, yeah, yeah. How we grow food and the quality of the food. It's, so with this device, the Bionutrient Association, it's, uh, it's the same kind of things behind this. So um, with your new working with your yeah. new article, your new article, the one with John that you're working on and the, all yeah. those other contributors, that is going to be like the lens that farmers turn to when they get that data, right? So they're going to look at that data and then be like, well, this means given the research. Yeah, for, for, for the moment, we have the, the main EHPH area for the main groups of, of pathogens, but it's really specific, in fact. Mm. And uh, in fact, what, what's interesting, we, we need to make an update with, with John uh, on the training because it, it all came from a question of one farmer during this, uh, this, this, this day of uh, discussion. But I, I said, he asked me a question, where is it? I, so I, I had to look more into detail in the plant. In fact, the, the different, the phloem, while you have the elaborate uh, sap, as completely different EH and pH than the rest of the plants. Xylem is that different level. The, 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 the extracellular space is the more acidic, the more oxidized is where you get the fungi. Okay. And, and in fact, you can really relate um, the different parts of the plants where the different kind of disease can develop. Uh, as a function of the different stress you can have in the plant. But, for instance, most fungi they develop in acidic condition, especially uh, the, the the necrotrophic fungi. It's very acidic plant condition in the intercellular space. Okay, uh, but there's a few fungi uh, like Coletotrichum that can develop on more alkaline conditions neutral to slightly alkaline conditions. They have the ability to produce ammonium, ammonia. So, so they, 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 they alkalinize. There's different huh. processes like this. And these ones, they are the ones that can develop in the xylem, which is more alkaline. And if you look at the viruses, they are in the phloem. The phloem is the more alkaline part of the plant. The viruses, they need high pH. And 
And it's where we change a little bit. They, they need an absolute EH level, which is rather low, but which corresponds to a, an oxidized phloem. Oh, and the phloem is strongly, yeah, and the phloem is strongly buffered. So if your if your phloem is oxidized, that means that your plant is strongly oxidized. Okay. So the first diagram I had, I, I, I represented the viruses in more oxidized condition than the bacteria. But in fact, uh, it's more in the absolute, the plant is more oxidized, but the absolute level of the, the virus is, is more reduced. Oh, wow. But it, but, but it corresponds to an oxidized plant, a very strongly oxidized phloem. Oxidized phloem, which means a strongly oxidized plant. Most bacteria, they develop in um, slightly aerobic condition. Okay. okay. Alkaline, slightly acidic, mainly alkaline. It depends which bacteria. Gram-positive, gram-negative bacteria will have different capacity to oxidize or to reduce with glutathione. So that all the processes are, it's another paper we're preparing. But, but globally, the, the bacteria, they will develop in an oxidized plant, but they will sustain the cycle in a reduced soil. Remember, balanced soil around 400 millivolts, balanced plants, depends on the species, but around 200 millivolts. The bacteria, they are around 300 pH, seven, it depends which one. So, so these bacteria, they will need an oxidized plant created by a to reduce soil. Wow. So they can they can develop in the soil. They can sustain all the cycle in the soil or in the the organic debris in the soil. But then they will be able to develop in plants that are too oxidized because of this unbalanced soil condition. Right. Fungi are more on oxidation. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Fungi, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's oxidized plants. It's the it's oxidized uh, extracellular space, so it's also oxidized soil. Okay. Um, yeah. Soon we will. Uh, yeah, the paper will will hopefully will be released soon. Uh, we we're working on the revision of the paper, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for me. I learned so much from your work because like you said, it affects everything. And one of the amazing things was, was realizing, you know, we talk about like good foods and superfoods they are antioxidant rich foods. And now I think of those foods as energy rich foods, you know, <laughs> Yeah, that's the way to, to see it. But to, to to continue with this device to measure for, for the plants, we will we will have to to measure many, many, many plants and to see what are the their optimal level. With this, we measure an average level of the plants. Okay. We don't measure the redox in the phloem or in the but we will need to develop all this database where we can say that when we have a measurement with this saying that P plus pH 
around 9.3 pH pH 4.2 then be careful you can have fit of Torah or not fit of Torah 4.2 but anyway um, the omisets there are very large range of pH uh -huh. <laughs> the, 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 the plasmoparaviticola the, the milieu of the grape wine it's probably on a very acidic condition fight of Torah they're on more neutral alkaline conditions pitium more alkaline conditions so the omisets are on the right range of pH it's um right but that's when it's <laughs> more waterlogged right waterlogging in fact will lower the redox in the roots by asphyxia so there will be also the roots will be it's it's can we call asphyxia or disease i don't know <laughs> but, uh, the, the root will be at low redox but the plant the diol parts will be oxidized because the because the photosynthesis will will go down so water logging reduces the roots which makes acidification of the roots which favors the the development of uh, necrotrophic fungi Mm. <laughs> from the soil and, and and then then on the other side the drying oxidation and uh, nitrate absorption will favor all the the aerial fungi the bacteria the viruses okay this is something we did in the paper we took back the several review paper on mineral nutrition and plant disease including the <laughs> famous book and uh, and you saw this this way and it's getting very clear nitrate ammonium you you understand why this power this kind of disease and or the other one it's it's getting very very clear when you look at this globally you don't understand because half of the time ammonium will favor one some disease and half of the time it will protect against disease and nitrate will do the opposite and when you have this kind of uh, of shards then it's getting very clear so mm -hmm. that's all the, the the knowledge we will need to 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 develop is that when I do this measurement, okay, I have this reading. Am, am I safe? Well, is it risky? And that's why also we need we would like to have the, the SAP analysis at the same time. That will make it possible to, to have the result directly and to, to adjust which one and balance. So so it's this one is like a thermometer. You get the fever. He's sick or he's not sick, <laughs> <laughs> and then you can have more detailed analysis with the SAP analysis to to adjust where where is it coming from. But knowing having this map in 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 mind, then you can better and knowing. Yeah. Do you feel that with this information that we're going to be able to? to pivot soon enough to 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 really make a um to because i mean soil loss is happening so quickly people are predicting you know terrible things happening with the world's soils and the environment but i get great hope yes. from the information that you, that you're sharing with the world be, be, because i can see that we can put it back together <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the nature is strong. So if we work with nature, we can go quite fast. Um, the problem is that you have some threshold levels. Uh, once you are below this threshold, it's getting more and more complicated to, to restore, to regenerate your soil. So um, there's huge way to improve this still. I'm sure we are at the beginning and we can go... Uh, for, for me, the main research question is how to do this transition as fast as possible and uh, with uh, the, the, the less uh, or the, the more economic return as, uh, as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, below some threshold levels of degradation, uh, soil regeneration becomes really uh, an investment, like you invest in a... a in irrigation scheme or, or something like that. It's, and it needs to be economically managed as an investment over a few years. So that would require some other kind of organization of the, of the credits of the, so, so the, the, anyway, the sooner we, we, we react, the better it will be. And it's not, too late, but uh, it will soon be too late. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost like we need to get this science up front so that we don't do stupid, the, the politicians don't do stupid things with pieces of information and being like, oh, these two go together. <laughs> because that happens. Yeah. That's, there's also a lot of training behind this. And uh, so it takes time. That's the, the, the problem. <laughs> mm. And, um, but the, the best, yeah, the, the, there's all the, the, the people like John, like oh, there's many private people who are doing this kind of training also. And it's, uh, it's very encouraging. I would say it's, uh, it, it's helping a lot. There's a lot of research uh, and, uh, and and training done through these kind of people. So uh, that's why this kind of, of uh, spectrometer, then we can do research with farmer all the time or together, bringing information. And again, the, with the internet, we can share information as never before. So just put intelligent information, a useful one in the right form, and uh, it can go faster than, than before. So, <laughs> so, and for me, I've been working all my career in, uh, in tropical countries where extension services have no meaning. <laughs> no, it's, uh, they, they have no funds, no body, no, so it's, uh, it's almost nothing. So, when we see what the capacity we have in some countries, you can expect that it can go fast. It's uh, <laughs> that's uh, the, the important thing is that what is proposed is based on profit for the farmers. And I think the best way to push for this system is that to show that it's well, well you're going to make more money, more sustainable you are going to spend less and less. A good friend from, from Sirad who quitted Sirad 20, uh, 15 years ago to take back his farm in France and do this conservation agriculture, 
Last year was very dry year, especially dry year. He has no irrigation, and on wheat he had uh, he, he had a low, much much lower yield than usually. So globally, he's producing something like eighty five, uh, eight point five tons per hectare of wheat every year, and uh, the neighbor in conventional system are. About yeah, eighty, you know, something like that. Um, last year he got sixty-five, uh, six six point five, sorry, sorry, instead of eight point five tons. But the neighbor got less than five. <laughs> and he says, but when you have almost no cost on what you're doing, you sleep well, no problem. He has very 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 low costs for his systems. So when you have low cost, you, the risk is less and, uh, <laughs> and you, you earn money, whatever the, the climatic year, at least for the moment. I but, feel like that's a big lesson for maybe all business. <laughs> maybe America needs to take that in too, because we need that wiggle room to make mistakes but to own them and yeah. learn from mistakes so that we can continue growing in wisdom. Yeah, that's the, the normally the, the research is supposed to be there to take the risk to make the mistakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there, there's, there's different way to for risk aversion. So risk aversion is something for, for African farmer, it's the key. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you have to think all the systems in risk aversion principle. So that's you need minimum input systems, you need things, but but for, for instance, there's many talks about which cover crop should I use uh, on this kind of soil, this climate, this condition of the farm. But just plant 15 species, okay? Every year you plant 15 different species. You will have five or six that grow every year, probably never the same, but at least it's it's a risk insurance. Because you, you cannot be good enough to predict which climate you will get. And to say with this level of regeneration of the soil, this cover crop will work better than all the other ones, okay? This specific year. So you just, besides the, the interest of having a, a quorum of different crops, uh, cover crops, the important thing is that with different one, it's a risk insurance. It's an insurance against the risk, against the climatic risk. Okay. Do you feel like we need to return to land races over uniform crops more? Oh no, uniform crops are not the, the key. For, <laughs> for instance, these friends I was talking about, for wheat, he has five varieties of wheat in the same field. Uh -huh. he's, he's mixing wheat varieties. And then, then there's plenty of possibilities after this with all the cover crops, even if we, the climate is getting more and more difficult in, uh, in, in summer, you never sure you get a rain. So to install a uh, cover crop after the wheat harvest is getting complicated. You know, you never know if it's possible or not. Mm. Then you shift to perennial cover crops. Mm -hmm. we, alfalfa, growing wheat on alfalfa, it's working very well. 
and alfalfa, you install it in a different crop, in, in rapeseed or in peas, and then it grows, and then you install the rice, the, the, the wheat in your alfalfa, and the alfalfa will grow again, even if there's no rain. So when I said land races, in, my, in, 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 in our definition for land races, they are plants that have a great genetic library within them. So when you plant them, there's like small, fat, tall, skinny, dry, you know, and then wet tolerant plants within the land race. And so um, we see this in India with um, the chickpeas. We see this in, in the corn, in the Native American corn in America. Did we lose that with alfalfa and wheat to a degree? By uniform, uniform, uniform? Yeah, you, 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 yeah uniform is, uh, yeah, we, we uniform many, many things, but it's... Wow, I didn't realize that. It's diversity against the problem. Yeah. Right, you need right. diversity because then it will be adapted to the changes in the conditions. You will have one of them, or at least some of them will be adapted. If you if you if you just uh, shoot one bullet, <laughs> you, you need to be sure that you will get the target. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Wow, that is just so amazing. It is it is eight eleven, so I don't know if you have to go. Yeah, we have to go. Yeah. <laughs> I want to respect your time. I I appreciate you giving us so much. Oh, giving your life. I mean, you have given your life oh. to to finding these secrets of our of the nature of our world and sharing them with people. This is so important. This is going to. Help I'm having on. fun in the job. <laughs> That's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's having fun. And I think John thinks the same. It's so much fun to, to when you see the opening doors like this and where you can go and moving on. It's um, within a few years, we, we, we learn a lot and it's, it opened a lot of doors. Uh, for lots of improvement and the priority was to develop this kind of device because measurement is the key mm. and it with with classical electrochemical methods no farmer would use this because I, uh, it would be right it's too too long to complicate to to not not sure enough to have good results so uh, it was the priority we We've seen last year that it's working very well with wheat and rapeseed, and uh, yeah, for the moment it's the two that are on the on the app. Um, we are developing them, and it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's opening a lot of opportunities, a lot of doors. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, so excited. So um, thank you we'll so much. See you. You're more, most welcome. <laughs>
and abundant soil everywhere. But that means we need to relearn old ways and learn some new ways to build, cycle, and partner with soil and soil life. We can change the world radically, but it's up to us. We have to make those choices. We have to partner with soil and soil life. It takes our participation and support. Will you join us? Regenerative Soil, the full program, we're going to dive deep. We're going to be looking commercial. We're going to be looking DIY. We're going to be going garden. We're going to be going farm scale. We're going to cover it all. We want to serve everyone at all levels, and we want to create that fluency, micro to macro, so that we can spread the regeneration of our soil, our ecosystems, all our systems, all across the world. You can do this. You can regenerate soil because regenerative soil is the linchpin for life. It's the linchpin for all systems, all of our civilization. Everything is running on this. Everything is based on this. Everything is relying upon this. Check out the link down below. Sign up and, and join us in Regenerative Soil, the full online course. You're not going to want to miss it. I'm Matt Powers. Grow abundantly, learn daily, and live regeneratively.